It really is a blessing to assemble this morning, isn't it? To appreciate this first day of the week. To appreciate that this particular occasion is such that the directed worship we can offer to God in truth and in spirit, He has promised is that which He desires, and we're honored to be able to come together and offer it to Him. It's so good to see this number with us today, our membership, and certainly our visitors who've come our way. We truly hope that our time together will be a blessing to ourselves, and more importantly, a glorification of the will of God. It certainly would be well to notice that, again, a compliment or at least a word of commendation and thanksgiving for all who contributed to the fantastic day yesterday. Gary made mention of that earlier, and certainly, given the number that participated, it was a fun-filled day and a joyous day in so many ways. But really, this is the season of the year that leads to a comment on the, this very next slide as well. We all know that this is that Sunday in the year 2017 that's been noted as Easter Sunday. And for many occasions this past week, events have taken place that have gained a bit of renown, if you please. It might be well for you and I to notice the word Easter really isn't in the Bible anywhere. It is true that you and I appreciate in the King James Version, there's one place in Acts chapter 12 where it occurs, but in all the other places where that same Greek word appears, it's not rendered Easter. It's more reference to, quite frankly, a matter of the Passover. But yet, as you and I appreciate, we have the joyous privilege of appreciating the resurrection of our Savior every first day of the week. And we look forward to doing that, highlighting not only His death, but the marvelous reality of the fact He's living. We do serve a risen Savior. And we look forward to seeing Him face to face. Revelation 1 verses 5 to 7 highlight that we're going to see Him face to face at some point and may we be found faithful and may we be found in harmony with His will. As you and I reflect on the lesson today, I've entitled it So Close. That's a pretty short title, but I hope that we'll easily see in a moment the thoroughness and oh how many implications there are for you and for me. This next slide will be one that takes us to the opening parts of that consideration. It's very possible to be close to the Master, to be close to being in a position of being saved, and yet, and yet, to be lost. To reflect on this rich young ruler, I have asked you to notice that in our hearing this morning was read from Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 to 22, and that is at the only time in the New Testament which a detailed presentation of this scenario is presented. You'll also notice in Mark 10, verses 17 to 22, and Luke 18, verses 18 to 23. In fact, we'll be referring to all three of them at certain occasions during the lesson. Our goal today, our thrust will be to reflect, and I would ask you to imagine it, I believe there's enough detail given. We each can visualize what took place. Imagine you would have been in the audience watching these things transpire. We're going to learn a number of lessons and applications that will be very meaningful to us. You'll notice on that slide, I've entitled this opening one, The Rich Young Ruler. That really is a biblical designation because although it isn't found in any one of these passages... Matthew particularly tells us in verse 20, the gentleman was young. Luke rather quickly tells us he was rich. We also find that Luke also tells us he was a ruler. Putting the three together, we have a gentleman who himself was a rich 
young ruler. And maybe it is that designation that so often is the one you and I use to refer to him. Although his name isn't given to us, that designation does a great job helping us appreciate the kind of person that he was. The text says, he came running to Jesus. Ponder it with me. As you imagine that in your mind's eye, appreciate that here Jesus was in the, perhaps a crowd or at least in a public place, and a person runs toward him. No doubt you'd immediately perceive the person was eager, excited, interested, or perhaps he had some particular mission in mind. He came running to Jesus. So although there may have been other religious individuals nearby, such as the doctors or the teachers of the law, he came running to Jesus. As he did so, would you note this? It says once he got there, he kneeled before the Master. This person, we don't know how old he was. All we know he was young. So he was able to run, and the text says that he ran. He came to where Jesus was, and he kneeled before him paying homage, paying respect, paying obeisance, if you will. As you'll notice on that slide, that brings us to lesson number one, if you will, of our study time this morning. He came to the right person. There are so many avenues, so many appreciations through life that clamor for our attention that demand it, that beg for it, and in many cases even require it. And yet, here was a rich young ruler, and on the moment of this occasion, he ran to Jesus. He wasn't going to anybody else. He wasn't directing his attention to any other individual or personage. He came running to Jesus. He knew the right person. It would be well worth your time and mine to ponder, do you and I know the right person? Do we approach the right person? Or do we allow our life to become sufficiently cluttered, to become sufficiently defocused that we're turning to the wrong places looking for the answers of life? Be impressed with the fact that although maybe our impression of the rich young ruler isn't always as healthy and complete, you do have to admit he came to the right person. And not only that, his undivided attention was directed toward him. What about your undivided attention and mind? Let's build up some of those thoughts like this. As far as the answers by which one can sojourn through this life, healthily, completely, and joyously, there is no other. Jesus Himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Question. As you and I think about the three things the Master stated, I'm the way... Have you ever thought about what that word suggests? When you and I think about the word W-A-Y, we imagine a thoroughfare, a means whereby one conveys from one location to another. It's the way. And Jesus said, I'm that. If you and I want to be successful in our sojourn through this life, that's the only path we can follow. The only one. Appreciate the exclusivity of that with me. Not only that, He said, I'm the truth. As you read that in John 14, 6, of course it's capitalized. W and way is capitalized. T and truth is capitalized. The Master Himself provides and offers it. 
that God in His marvelous wisdom, He sent His only begotten Son, and before the human family, He has presented once and for all the way and the truth, and one more, the life. Do you want to be living? Oh, I'm not talking about physical life. We all have that. We've had it since the moment we were conceived in our mother's womb. Jesus came to bring a far richer life than that. Did He not say in John chapter 10, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. If you and I don't enjoy abundant life, it isn't heaven's fault. And it isn't Jesus' fault. And it isn't God's fault. And it isn't the Holy Spirit's fault. It's my fault for not applying the wisdom that He's given me. And to live in a way joyously in the marvelous wonder of what the Master came to offer. This rich young ruler apparently had enough insight to appreciate this. He came to Jesus. Let's look at another passage in John 6 verse 68. You remember, this was rather early in the Lord's ministry, but Jesus had just preached a hard sermon. May we in passing appreciate some of the truths of the Word of God can be challenging, and they can bring great things for changes and demands in my life. Be that as it may, some walked with Him no more because it was so hard. And yet, Jesus said, Will you also go away? I don't know what intonation of voice Jesus used as He asked that question. I suppose we all could wonder, did the Lord say it with a bit of tenderness in His voice? As He looked at the twelve, will you also go away? We do have to confess that Peter in his response said, Lord, to whom shall we go? He knew that the one and only way by virtue of the preaching of the Master was still through Jesus. May you and I in wisdom recognize this lesson number one as a powerful appreciation that there are so many false things in this world. Some religions are. Many teachers are. Doctrines, philosophies of men are. And you and I have to be on guard sufficiently to appreciate what those are and to appropriately avoid them and to sojourn through this life with all the life and the hope that the Scriptures have in place for us. The rich young ruler knew where to go and he went to the right person. May you and I recognize that. In those joyous times of life, to whom do we go to offer thanksgiving and praise? Let it always be the God of heaven. In those moments, though, of great challenge, be they health, be they difficulty or otherwise, to whom do we go to search for the answers and to find the help we need? May it always be Jesus. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the very one of whom we read in Hebrews 4.16. So then, let us have boldness to come unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Have you ever been in need? I know we all have. May we, like the rich young ruler, run to the Master. But as you think about those last thoughts on that slide, isn't it again interesting that this very day, a day on which many in our world will at least reflect upon and offer a celebration for the resurrection of Jesus. You'll notice the New Testament paints before us a dramatic realization of just how capable that He is. You and I know He's the Son of God because He was raised from the dead. Romans 1 verse 4. 
And in fact, that resurrection was such a vital part of the preaching of Paul that in Acts 24, 15, he abundantly highlighted it and emphasized it. And it is the thing that gives you and I the ultimate hope in heaven. Let's look even further. Not only does this rich young ruler teach us these things. Did you notice what question he asked after he got there? Again, picture it with me. He runs to Jesus and kneels before Him. And the words that come out of the rich young ruler's mouth are these. Good Master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Of all the things that perhaps crossed the mind of the rich young ruler, particulars that he would wish to ask of Jesus, the question that he asked is the one upon which you and I are going to cast the next focus in the lesson this morning. As you look at that slide, he asked a great question. May I suggest to you the single greatest question that any of us can ask? What must I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now, Mark's version will in fact word that basically in a very similar way, but there's an additional word here or there. Look at how I've asked you to consider it. May I suggest to you that if this question is asked honestly, I realize a person could ask it and not really have any intent to change anything. But if you and I are earnest and honest and direct about asking it and are willing to listen with care to the answer, it'll change your life. It'll change your eternal destiny. It'll change everything about your perspective and outlook on life. Good Master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Look at some of the particulars. This question is by no means the only time that it explicitly is found. In Acts chapter 2, that marvelous occasion of the Pentecost when thousands of individuals were gathered. And as Peter and the others preached that unforgettable sermon that day, remember that they were pricked in their heart and said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now at this point, consider what shall we do for what? That question, notice, is not just such that we're left hanging. They wanted to know what to do to be cleansed from this business, this sin of putting to death the Son of God. Look at another example in Acts 16, verse number 30. The scene on that occasion was another very telling one. Paul and Silas had been imprisoned. Oh, it's true, they haven't committed any crimes, but nonetheless, the officials of that particular place, and it was the city of Philippi, they didn't like a little bit what Paul and Silas had been preaching. And in fact, as they had cast out that spirit of divination from that, from that woman, that damsel, ultimately the accusations against them led the officials to beat them and put them in prison. But you remember what happened at midnight that night. Paul and Silas were singing and praying, and a great earthquake shook that jailhouse to the point where not only were the prison bars open, but the shackles holding the prisoners were loosened as well. And as that took place, the jailer was waked from his sleep. And you remember the question he asked. He asked this question, What must I do to be saved? Now think about that with me. Here was a jail cell. It's not a place you'd probably think about religious things very much, and yet 
The jailer was waked out of his sleep, and the first words out of his mouth, what do I need to do to be saved? He knew something about what Paul and Silas stood for. He knew something about the kind of men they were. He understood something about the message they carried. And at midnight that night, he asked the greatest question that can fall from the lips of a human being. May I say, as you and I think about that question, the rich young ruler knew what question to ask. In fact, why don't we build up lesson number two of our study time this morning. Lesson one was he went to the right person. Lesson two, he asked the right question. There are a lot of questions that a human being can ask. Have you ever tried to estimate how many questions you ask in the course of a day? It's a lot, isn't it? And yet here on this occasion, he asked this very leading, very pertinent, very penetrating question. Let's look at the bottom. What does that question suggest? Notice the wording he used. What good thing shall I do? This rich young ruler knew very well there was something that he had to do. Salvation was not going to be bequeathed and given to him apart from any action on his part. He knew there was something that he had to do. Now you and I realize that the human family has perverted many things from the truth of God. And there are those in our world today who teach that everybody in one way or another is going to finally be saved. That isn't so. It just isn't. Jesus very directly said it like this in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter ye into the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. May I ask each and every one of us, are you and I numbered amongst the few? If we're not, we don't have any hope. This rich young ruler knew the right question to ask, and he knew there was something he needed to do. As you and I contemplate that, notice what directly comes. Did Jesus elsewhere teach the earnestness, the honesty that must be characteristic of this kind of question? It is to that point I would ask you to reflect on Luke 8 verse 15. Now the scene there, to be rather quick about the development of it, you remember that Jesus was teaching a parable. We sometimes call it the parable of the sower of the seed. A man went out to sow and some of that seed fell on wayside soil. Others fell on stony ground. Others fell on thorny places. And finally some fell in good and fertile soil. Thankfully, Jesus interpreted that parable for us. The wayside soil represented those, you and I well remember, who themselves were such that the devil came and snatched away the Word before it ever germinated and grew. Oh, these people heard the Word of God. They heard something about the Bible, but they never allowed the considerations of it to dwell in their heart. And Satan came and filled their mind with falsehoods and matters that took them away before they ever obeyed. What about the stony ground? Here again, a very kind of soil you and I know well. Jesus explained it this way. That soil represents those. The plant springs up and it comes up with eagerness and excitement and it grows greatly at first. But when the heat of the day arrives, 
when the temperature and the pressures and the afflictions of the circumstances surround it, it'll wither and wilt away because it doesn't have enough moisture. Jesus said that's like those who again hear the Word and joyously receive it. Oh, and they're faithful for a while, but when persecution and pressure comes, they wilt under it and they become unfaithful. What about the thorny ground? Now this ground was infested with thorns, but the plant did begin to grow from that seed. But as the thorns grew, they choked it out. You'll notice Jesus said, that choking represents the cares and riches of the world. Finally, there's the good ground. And Jesus says, those who have an honest and good heart will receive that word. They'll ask this question with appropriateness. And what about you and me today? Do you remember when you first obeyed the gospel? May I ask, that may have been decades ago. Are you and I still faithful? Are we continuing to ask, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Because once we emerge from that watery grave of baptism, we've begun the Christian life then. We haven't ended it. We must live faithfully till death. This rich young ruler asked the right question. As you and I close that slide, may we remember that the devil will always encourage you and me, rather than asking a good question like that one, to ask a foolish question, a meaningless question, a question that will ultimately help to doom us if we allow it to do so. Titus 3.9 reminds they of that day, and you and I as well, don't be given to foolish questions. In the wisdom of the moment, let us again appreciate the rich young ruler. He came to the right person and he asked the right question. Let's study further. What else might we say about this occasion and this series of events? It's time to reflect upon the answer the Master gave. In Matthew's account, you'll notice that verse number 17, And he said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. As you and I reflect on the Master's answer, please notice first of all that Jesus didn't ignore His question. He didn't ignore the fact He had come. And Jesus will not ignore you or I either. He in fact beckons and pleads with all to come. Listen to this invitation. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Who does the Lord want to come to Him? Only the rich? Only the educated? Only the young? Of course not. He wants one and all in any category to in fact appreciate that He is the right one to whom to come. And furthermore, He's promised that I'll answer just like He did on this occasion. You'll notice that Jesus rather quickly answered the man and said, Keep the commandments. Matthew 19, verse 17. Just like that man had appreciated, there was something to be done to make sure that the rich young ruler understood the nature of the matter. Jesus began to quote some of those ten commandments. Verse number 18. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not commit murder. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. 
One by one, Jesus, in fact, quoted from a certain section of the Old Testament, highlighting that which was demanded of this rich young ruler. Would you be impressed with this interesting truth? Jesus quoted from them, suggesting, of course, that this man who had come before him was a Jew. Because that Old Testament law of Moses was placed, of course, in demand for them. But not only that. Have you ever noticed and been a bit impressed? Jesus did not quote all ten of the Ten Commandments. He only quoted six of them. I wonder why He made selection of six. In fact, as you and I will spend the next few moments attempting to appreciate that truth, I think there's a vital lesson in it, not only for that rich young ruler, but yea, for you and for me as well. Let's consider it like this. Jesus again highlighted, you don't kill, you don't commit adultery, you don't steal. And again, the last six of the Ten Commandments. But with them, you might note the following. That rich young ruler rather quickly replied, All of these have I kept from my youth up. He had been full faithfully obedient to the last six of the Ten Commandments. I've never stolen anything. I've never killed anybody. I've never committed adultery. And I've never coveted. Well, that's interesting. I suspect that the gentleman had stood up by then, and maybe with a degree of pride, he was able to, in thanksgiving, say, I have kept all of these. Maybe this was the time he was going to expect a commendation from Jesus. Oh, you're such a fine example of godliness. You're such a wonderful example of what I want for those to follow me. But Jesus didn't say that. Oh, as you and I notice, that's not what the Master taught. You'll notice as you look further, the Lord's answer is very vital. Would you reflect for the next few moments on it? Because in many ways that may be the key part of our study time, our lesson this morning. For not only is it important to go to the right person, and not only is it important to ask the right question, to appreciate His answer. Let's build it up like this. In Matthew 19, verse 21, Jesus said, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. My strong suspicion is that that is the furthest thing from what that young ruler expected to hear. After acknowledging and admitting, I've kept all these commandments from my youth up again, perhaps he felt as though commendation was in order, but it was not to be. Mark tells us something rather remarkable. In that account, Mark says, Jesus looked on him and loved him. Jesus could read his heart, you see. Jesus could read into the deepest recesses of his inner being, and he knew what the man was thinking. He knew the kind of person that he was. And with that in mind, may I ask you to think with me about the first four of the Ten Commandments. What did Jesus not earlier quote to him? Well, you and I know it well. Commandment one, have no other gods before me. Commandment 2, make never a graven image of anything in heaven and earth or under the earth. Commandment 3, never take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And number 4, always remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now all four of those first four commandments surround the feature of the focus and character of what is involved in idolatry. 
You see, the second one, I can't make a graven image, but let me just say this. Suppose, in effect, that I don't ever carve out of a piece of wood or a piece of metal something and bow down to it, but I love something more than I love God. I failed in the first commandment, and I'm guilty of idolatry. You see, the very thing that encumbered the life of the rich young ruler was in the first four commandments. Aren't you impressed with the Lord's teaching capability? He first quoted the last six and highlighted, and the rich young ruler knew them well. What he didn't appreciate was the first four, and especially the first two, for that was the very thing that was keeping him from God. It was the very thing that was causing him, in fact, to not have that eternal life that he said he wanted. Jesus loved him and said, If thou wilt be perfect. Notice, you've kept all these latter six commandments, but if you want to be complete, if you want to be whole, if you want to be entire in the sight of God, here's what you lack. Go sell what you have and give it to the poor. Now notice, that's not a final commandment for every human being of all time, but its principle is. It's not wrong to have money. It's not wrong to save money. The later New Testament commandments, even on occasion, give those commandments. But what is wrong is if that money becomes my God. And if that money becomes for me what I elevate above my love for God, then I'm wrong. I'm an idolater. This rich, young ruler needed to place God first, and that's what he hadn't done. His money is what occupied his thought process. It's what occupied that position in his heart. No wonder in light of that you may appreciate that the greatest commandment is still this one. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. That's the greatest of the commandments. In fact, Jesus would highlight that in Matthew 22, verses 39 and following. Maybe it's fair to say, in light of that one final comment here, it challenges you and me in exactly the same way. I realize that that particular temptation has been one that's ongoing in many ways since the dawn of time. To put something between me and God, something that I love more than God. The rich young ruler needed that teaching. He needed what the Lord was telling him. And Jesus told him exactly what he needed to hear. He tells you and me the same thing, you know, exactly what I need to hear. Maybe the issue that I face in life is a different temptation than yours, and yet he tells me what I need to hear, and he tells you what you need to hear. The Bible's complete that way. It has every message within it. As you and I close that particular slide and remark, you notice that Jesus gave this ruler a commandment, go and sell something. He had to sell some things and then come follow Jesus. He was told what to do. You and I are as well, you know. We're told in Romans six seventeen, thanks be unto God that ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, and being made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. That obedience leads us to the final part of the lesson today. And following this, of course, the lesson will be yours and mine. This rich young ruler, you'll notice, he responded. After Jesus told him what he needed to hear, verse number 22 reads like this. 
But when the young man heard that saying, notice he listened to what Jesus said. I'm sure he was hanging on every word that Jesus had to say. But it goes on to say, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Would you note with me that he went away sorrowfully? In fact, Luke's account would again say that he went away sorrowfully. Mark's account says he was grieved. It so agitated and bothered him, he was so upset about the nature of what the Lord told him to do. It is in regard to that that may I suggest this man was so close, so terribly close. He was within touching distance of the Son of God and even asked the great question of the Great One. And when Jesus gave the answer, he wasn't thrilled with it. We have no biblical indication that he ever obeyed. We hope he did. We hope He did. Today, I wonder about you and me for lesson number four. It's entirely possible to give the wrong response to the commandments of the Lord. This man gave the wrong one. With eagerness, he should have been happy to be thankful for the life-saving message that Jesus had given him and at once to begin to take care of those matters. But he went away sorrowfully. He went away sorrowfully. You'll notice that putting God first is still required of you and me. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. But God, I don't like that very much. I would rather put me first. And God with tenderness says, listen to me. If you put me first, you'll have the best life there and eternal home in heaven. But if you put you first, you're going to have a miserable life here and you'll go to hell. Which do you want? The question is left for you and me today. May we not give the wrong answer? May we not, like the rich young ruler, be too overwhelmed and excited about these things that are offered to us here? For they'll never satisfy, not eternally. In addition to that, let's close the slide by highlighting that I think one of the things we've learned then that idolatry was something that the rich young ruler was struggling with, and it still can be a struggle for many today. 1 John 5 verse 21 says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. You and I can be just as guilty of it as the rich young ruler was. Is God everything to you? Do you serve Him faithfully every day? That begins by asking, Have you become a Christian? Jesus hanged on a cross and gave His precious sinless blood that you and I might be saved. Have you responded in faith to that offer? If you have not, let today be the day, this 16th day of April, 2017. Jesus commands you've got to believe Him to be the Son of God and do so with all of your heart, John 8, 24. You must repent of your sins, that is to say those things you've done that violate His will, You've got to appreciate and hate that th those things and intend to do them no more. That repentance is commanded, of course, in Acts 2.38. You're commanded to confess the name of Jesus as the Son of God. Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33, and you must be baptized for the remission of your sins. If we could assist you in that today, what a joyous and eternity-changing day for you would be. If though you've begun that journey and you've tasted the good Word of God, but for one reason or perhaps several, you have strayed from faithfulness 
And like the rich young ruler, maybe you have become guilty of idolatry, putting other things before service to God. If that's the case, Jesus pleads with you. He loves you just like He did that ruler. He tells you what you need to know. Don't answer wrongly. Please answer in faithfulness. If we could pray to God on your behalf as you repent and confess those sins in a public way, we'd be delighted to pray to God for you. And we'd be honored to help you. This song of encouragement has been chosen. This is an opportune and convenient time if we want a more subject to the gospel's call of invitation. Won't you come while together we stand and sing?